Father, thank you for uh, this incredible story that uh, demonstrates uh, how you work. And, and we have much to learn from David and his life and uh, this adventure that he was on and, and, uh, with Goliath. And I pray, Lord, you would open our hearts and our minds and help us uh, learn this morning, Lord, more of how to be what you've called each of us to be. Free us into that life, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, good morning. I'm, I'm Derwin, for those of you who are new, and, and I want to welcome you this morning. And, and I want to sh- start uh, our message this morning by looking at a scene from the film uh, about a boy. It's a, it's a pretty interesting film. The film stars Hugh Grant, and he is a financially independent, irresponsible, irresponsible childless Londoner who invents an imaginary son in order to attend single-parent meetings so that he can meet women. This is the, the whole story. And the plot thickens, he actually kind of takes a, a kid under his wing, but the plot thickens when he actually meets a woman, Rachel, played by Rachel Weiss, who he, he really likes. But there is a problem, and, and it's this. His relationship is based on a lie. And secondly, he's, he's cultivated this existence that's pretty shallow, and, and uh, so he has really nothing to offer her. And it all comes to a climax when, when this becomes really clear to Rachel. And we're going to watch a scene where he actually kind of confesses that he's been lying to her, and uh, this is the result. Let's watch the scene. By, by the way, just there's a little bit of edgy language in this, in this scene. I think you can handle it, and, uh, but let's watch. So I took his advice and told Rachel the truth or very nearly the truth, that I wasn't Marcus's natural father. Oh? And that is not natural seaweed. The problem oh, was, once I told the truth, I knew there'd be a lot more Sorry, questions. I'm a bit thick here, but if you're not Marcus's natural father and you don't live with him, then how is he, you know, your son? Oh, yeah, I see. <laughs> it must look, must look very confusing for me outside. Mm, tell me how it is on the inside. Um... It's just one of those uh, one of those long, boring stories. Look, do you want to move on to wine? You want some Chinese rice wine, miss? You would like to try, I suspect, the Anang Paneng. Yeah? No. Anyway, tell me about your relationship with Ali. Is that as complicated as mine and Marcus's? No, I slept with his father and then nine months later I gave birth. Pretty straightforward. Yeah. I envy you that. Hmm. Yeah, I'm really sorry to harp on about this, but um, I haven't got it all worked out yet. You are Marcus's stepfather, but you don't live with him or with his mother. No, you see, um... Wait. Mm. Look, I never said... I never said he was my son. Did I? The words, I have a son called Marcus, never escaped my lips. What you chose to believe. Yeah, right. It's me that's the fantasist. I wanted to believe that you had a son, so I let my imagination run riot. Well, obviously I played a part, I can see that. No, not at all. I met you and I thought, cute guy. God, if only you had a son, a geeky teenage kid if possible, and then you turned up at my house with Marcus and bingo. 
Now, I made this crazy link because of some deep psychological need in me. Well, you shouldn't beat yourself up about it. Could have happened to anyone. You know, the first time I met you, I thought you were a bit... blank. But then you changed my mind. But maybe I was right. Rachel, listen. Yes? I'm sorry, you're right. I am. I'm blank. I'm really... nothing. I don't know what the hell I was thinking of. I'm sorry. scene what what happened to will there he, he got found out you know what was on the inside didn't line up what he was projecting on the outside and he got caught I, I watched this film a, a while back and I was struck most by this particular scene um, he's living this this life and I'm just going I, I don't want that to be the defining statement of my life I don't want anyone ever to say to me you know I, I met you and I thought you're a bit of a blank your, your inside and your outside don't line up. They don't match. Uh, encouraging story is that that is a redemption story. Will, by the end of the film, actually discovers, I, I'd say, more of an authentic self. But we began two weeks ago talking about the problem of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. And we looked at Saul. And today we're going to be looking at how we know ourselves in order that we may know God. And we'll be going to look at David because he was someone whose inside lined up or matched his outside. David had an awareness of himself, and, and an awareness of yourself is closely connected to your relationship with God. Um, let's think about this for a minute. Say you are an introvert, but you live as an extrovert. Maybe it seems like extroverts to you have all the fun. They're out there. Maybe you think people like extroverts more, whatever. And so when you're you're with people, maybe you're, you're acting like, like somebody that you're not, you know, and, and they're not getting the real you. They're getting the, the kind of the imposter you. Or maybe you're asked to go somewhere, and you go and, and do it, but you really don't want to do it, and so you're there in body, but actually you're not really there. And you do that over and over again, and you're not sure why you do it, but, but wh whoever you're saying yes to is not getting the real you. They're getting the imposter you. Let's, let's say you feel anger and, and, and disappointment, and, and you feel guilty, though, about feeling anger and, and disappointment. And, and so when you're with your friends, you're all nice, but on the inside, you're feeling what? Miserable. And what they're getting from you is, is a false you and not the real you. And the bad thing is, it's not your anger. It, it's, it's you being somebody you're not. You're being an imposter. And it's the same thing in our relationship with God. If we don't know ourselves, how can we give ourselves to God? Indeed, I think it hinders all our relationships. How about that scene in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 2? I like Adam and Eve, that phrase that describes their relationship. They were naked and not ashamed. 
I love that description. Adam and Eve in the garden before sin, they were totally the same inside as they were outside. There was this wholeness. There was this integrity, this, this unity. And because of this, they were, they're free, they were free to give themselves relationally to one another, and they were free to be in this relationship with God. Perfect, seamless. It was awesome. But then as a, a result of their rebellion, their, their sin, uh, as a result of the fall, one of, one of the things they lost was this unity between their inside and their outside. And not only did their rebellion result in, in their being cut off from God, but they were actually cut off from them, themselves, and they were cut off from each other, and cut off from, from within themselves. And we see them begin to putting, put on masks and, and blaming one another. It was, it was her fault. She made me do it, right? We still do that today. Their true authentic self in God is just shattered, and they begin covering it up. And, and we do the same today. We just don't use fig leaves to do it. But we can find ourselves living as imposters and cultivating this, this false life, this, this kind of false self. Um, Peter Scazzaro, he asks some questions to see if we've got some symptoms of this false self. See if any of these apply to your, you this morning. Just to ask yourself this. Am I the kind of person that says, says yes when I really mean no? Do I get depressed when people are upset with me? Do I have a need to be approved by others to feel good about myself? These are, are something, symptoms of something going on deeper and larger in your life. Do I act nice to someone on the outside, but inside I can't stand them? Do I often remain silent in order to keep the peace? Do I believe if I make mistakes, I am a failure? Do I criticize others in order to feel better about myself? Do I try to avoid looking weak or foolish for not having the answer? Do I, try, uh, do I have to be doing something exceptional to, to feel alive? Do I have to be needed to feel alive? Am I fearful and unable to take risks? Do I do what others want so that they don't get mad at me? Do I use knowledge and confidence to cover my feelings of inadequacies? Do I, do I want my children to behave well so others will think I'm a good parent? I mean, I think all parents can kind of say that, can't we? Do I compare myself to other people? These are, are just symptoms that indicate that I'm probably living a lot more out of my false self than out of an authentic life with God. And so, so knowing yourself so that we may know God is really the first step to, towards emotionally healthy spirituality. And so we're going to look at David because David is, is a great example of somebody who knows himself. He is, he is true to himself, but he's also, he also knows God and he, and he brings them together beautifully. So to our passage, 1 Samuel 17. It's one of those great long stories and, and it was great to have it read for us. Thank you, Naomi. In the beginning, you see these, these two great armies, the Israelites and, and the Philistines. They're facing off on the battle lines uh, on, on this valley of Elah. I, it's kind of a special place to me in Scripture now because I was actually able to visit the Valley of Elah, and we went to a mountain up above these two hilltops where, where the two armies were facing one another. It's, it's, it actually exists, and you can still see the little brook, the stream that, that runs down in the valley between them. And, and, and they're, they're, they're on these opposing hills, and they're at a stalemate, really, because they're pretty evenly matched armies. And they're hesitant to engage because they'd have to go down into the valley, off their hillside, and then across the valley and up the other hillside, fighting uphill at a disadvantage. So they're basically, at this point, just posturing towards one another. 
So finally something happens in verse 4. We're told a champion named Goliath came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He's a big man. And Goliath comes down and makes a proposal. He says what, what, what you might call a representative battle. One man from your side, one man from our side, me. And we'll fight it out. And whoever wins, it wins represent. Winner takes all. And we're told Goliath was a literal hulk of a man, a giant. I mean, nine feet, of course, in, incredibly well-equipped. I mean, massive helmet on his head, uh, bronze javelin on his back, a spear, a sword, uh, a shield, a shield bearer, armor bearer. One author says this. I love this description. Goliath reminds me of a cross-eyed discus thrower. He didn't set any records, but he sure kept the crowd awake. Something, he would have been something to see. Um, um, his armor alone weighed 125 pounds. Some of you weigh 125 pounds, and I just can't imagine having to carry you around. He's no string bean. One caller estimated that his weight would have been something like 550 pounds. That's how big this man was. He was a physically intimidating hulk. And then he says, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing this, the Philistines' words, Saul the king and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. So that's the image. They're just, they're just terrified, shaken in their boots. Scripture says for 40 days, every morning, every evening, 80 times, Goliath comes out and he intimidates them and, and puts fear in their hearts. And now David, he arrives in the middle of all this, and, and out of the entire nation of Israel, he walks out because he knows himself and he, and he knows God and, and he cuts through the obstacles in his way to be his authentic self in God. And he moves forward. And his journey and, and his obstacles are, are really ours as well. David cuts through three obstacles. And, and I want to take, take them one by one. Verse 23, we're told David shows up to bring food for his three older brothers. It says, as he was talking with his brothers... Goliath, the Philistine, champion from Gath, stepped out from the lines and, and shouted his usual defiance. And when the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. David, in verse 26, asked the man standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God. Now what is David's first obstacle? It's actually not Goliath. It's his family, as we read in verse 28 to 31. Uh, David is the youngest. He's the baby of the family. How many of you are the youngest in your family? Julia, we're actually going to have a support group started just for us. After all the abuse we took at the, our, our elder siblings and our families being, you know, how many of you are just tired of hand-me-downs? You, you don't even know how to buy new clothes anymore. We have a support group just for you. And David, he is the youngest. He's the youngest of eight boys. We don't know if there's any girls in that family, but there was eight, eight boys, and Eliab is the oldest. And his three brothers, uh, the three eldest, are part of the army. They're there on that hillside with Saul. And, and David's job is tending the sheep back home. And he's simply bringing food to his, his brothers, supplying him at the front line. And from what we know of David, he, he just seems to get no support from his seven brothers and, and none at all from his father here. We don't know where his mother is. 
In, in an earlier story where David is, is anointed to be king by Samuel, he's actually entirely forgotten by his family. Oh, yeah, we have one more brother. He's on the field. So he's forgotten. So he's got this unsupportive family environment. And, and in this story, they're, they're judging him, and they're accusing him, and they are labeling this guy. Listen to what it says, verse 28. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and said, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down to only watch the battle. Talk about heavy words from your elder brother. And, and so here he is. And, and, and we don't really know what David's family was like, what, what he grew up in, but clearly things are not so beautiful in his family, at least, at least not for David. He's misunder, misunderstood and he's slandered. He's ignored and disregarded. He's, he's put down as a nothing I mean, talk about a, a pretty big obstacle to grow up with. That the message he gets from his family is, is you're a nobody, you're a loser, go home. And so here he is. And so in our, even in our families, and, and, and even in the best of families, we have our own stuff that we bring to the table because of, of sin. But, but then most of our families add to those layers and, and smother parts of, of who God made us to be. We grew up in, in families or, or cultures where, where certain parts of who we were were not valued or, or not accepted. And, and as a result, they get cut off. They, they get buried or kind of pushed down and, and hidden. Many people describe that, that I just grew up feeling invisible in my family. Or, or maybe they felt growing up, I'm not supposed to think or, or express certain thoughts or I'm not supposed to feel certain feelings or I, or I can't make mistakes, or I can't go down that road, or I, I can't feel vulnerable or, or weak. And, and then when we grow up into to adulthood, what, whatever our environment has been, we often find that our, our parents and, and our caregivers, we're honest, they did the best they could, right? They loved us. But not always for who we were. Uniquely crafted by God, but, but for who they wanted us to be. Talk about creating for us an internal tension and, and struggle. And, and we're accepted if, if we're good enough. You know, if we get married or, or if we go to the right school or if we get the right job or if we, we make lots of money or if we fulfill a particular parent's dream for us. And we, we can carry that baggage around with us. We're lovable if. We're accepted if. And David is here. He's He's ignored and he's disregarded. It's basically, shut up, go home, you've got nothing to offer here. And, and, and some of you know what it's like to be alive and nobody notices. And, and nobody notices David. But God notices David. And David notices David. And, and what's really important to see here is that David cuts through all this, this family dynamic that could have shut him down. And, and his first his family baggage is really the first giant that he has to overcome. Secondly, he has to cut through the obstacle of having significant people of authority in his life who, who are also seeking to shut him down. As in verse 32 and, and 33, Saul hears about what David is, is saying, what he's been saying to his family, and, and David's saying, I'll go and fight this Philistine. And here's David. David is just a, a kid. He's like 17 or 16 years old, and 
And he's a shepherd boy. He's not even a soldier. And so Saul, the king, hears about it, sends for him. And, and now here's David standing before the king, King Saul, this big hulk of a man himself. And, and David says to Saul in, in verse 32, it's, this is a great verse. He says to Saul, this is in front of the king, he says, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine, your servant, me, I'll go and fight him. So it's awesome, the audaciousness of David here. It's just a kid. Then listen to how Saul replies. You are not able to go up against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy, and he has been a fighting man from his youth. You are not able to go. You're just a kid. Talk about putting David in his place. Talk about a defining statement. Saul sized David up and said, you're, you've been found wanting. You are, are, you are not able to go. You're not able to do it. Remember Saul here for a minute. We have a bit of a tainted view of Saul, I think. Uh, Saul, uh, you know, we know his whole story doesn't end so well. But at that time, he would have been a hero in the land. I mean, chapter 11, he, he led 330,000 men out in battle, victorious battle against the Ammonites. Incredible victor. Saul's famous. He's, a, he's a, uh, well known for his soldiering. He's experienced. And he's saying, you can't do it. If you're David there, what would you say? How would you respond to Saul? <laughs> I, I'd say, if, if, if he doesn't think I can do it, then I probably can't do it. I'm out of here. Because Saul's the expert. And he's the experienced one. And, and, and in his view, I have no chance. And here's the thing. Saul believes in God. And all, all, the, all the soldiers on that hillside, all the, the Israelite soldiers there, they believed in God. Everyone believes in, in God and the living God, but they're, they're acting like atheists. And it is so easy to say that we believe in God, yet to act like we're atheists, living as if simply God does not exist. And, and here's the guy with experience and authority, and he's saying, you can't do it, just stay where you are. And, but David, he doesn't buy it. I, I love this about him. He, he's come to know God, and he says, you don't know how God, what God has done for me, how how he helped me overcome the bear and the lion protecting my flock, and how God came through. And if God can do it then, he can do it now. I believe he can. So finally, Saul relents and says, you want to go, go. I, I think this is amazing. It's really ironic. The, the only giant, really, that the Israelite army had was Saul, the guy who stood a, a head taller than everyone else in the land. Who should have been going was Saul. Who should have been fighting Goliath was Saul, the mightiest warrior of the Israelites. And here, Saul's willing to let anybody go but him. It's quite a lesson in fear. But he says, but if you're going to go, here's how you do it. And in verse 38, it says, Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. Just kind of picture David here for a moment. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I just kinda, can you just kind of picture? He's like loaded down with this, this heavy armor that he's never worn before. He says, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. And, and, and this is the way everybody fights. Everybody fights on that day. They, they're wearing armor. And, and so they give armor to David, and he puts it on, but it doesn't fit him. Understand, everybody with, with experience, everybody in authority... Everybody who knows how to fight in a battle is telling him how to do it, and he's telling him, this isn't me, and David cuts through that. 
And everybody's giving advice to David on, on how he's to fight Saul, the generals. But, but David realizes he can't go in, in dressed in this armor. And I, I think that's the most powerful line of the whole story. So he took them off. Let me say this. There, there may have been coaches or, or, or mentors or teachers or significant others or experts in, in your field when you were growing up who had a, a lot of experience. And, and you know, we, we're to listen to counsel, aren't we? I mean, the Bible talks a lot about, uh, you know, wisdom comes from the abundance of counselors, and it's really, really important. The, the key here is, is not to throw out that counsel, but, but David knows himself so well, and he, he comes to know God so well that, that David is an expert on himself. He's an expert on himself. Nobody, let me say this, nobody can be an expert on you like you can be. You're the only one who can be truly an expert on you. And he's able to to listen to the counsel, and he's able to say, this isn't good counsel. God's got a unique path for me, and I can do this. Now, um, without emotionally healthy spirituality, this is a dangerous passage. People do all kinds of kind of crazy things with the interpretation of this passage that are, are kind of insane, which, which I, I don't have time to give a lot of examples for, but, but maybe you've seen it. Like pure stupidity in the name of God, right? But David knows himself, and he's able to say, I can do this in God. And, and he gets up, and, and imagine he walks out from all of them and out into the field to face Goliath. Just imagine all he cuts through. These are these are pretty big obstacles. It, no wonder it is such a challenge for us to kind of break out of our fear and into to who, who we're meant to be. First, you've got to cut through your family growing up and, and, and all the messages you get from them and the expectations you get. Second, you've got to cut through the, the people with experience and authority in front of you and learn to craft your own walk with God. And, and third, you've got to get out there and there's still a Goliath in front of you. And, and you've got the Goliath inside of you, because for most of us, our Goliaths are both inside and outside. In fact, as I was reflecting on this week, I thought, my biggest Goliaths are, are inside my life. They're not out there somewhere. And when, when Goliath steps out there, he begins to curse him. Can you imagine being David, hearing what he hears, uh, stepping out in front of this, this giant? And in verse 42, it tells us, he looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. How would you respond to that? Fight or flight? I th- I'd be flying out of there in, f- in fear, or I think I'd be frozen on the spot in fear. You know? And, and Goliath, he's threatening him, threatening him with, with very specific Consequences, as in, I am going to kill you. You will die. And I'd be thinking, I think at this moment, you're probably right. <laughs> and, and you see, if you, you step out and, and seek to be your authentic self, you're, you're going to have to wrestle with this thought that I, I might die out here. Um, this, could, this could end in disaster. Maybe I'd be just better off going back to living the, the way I was living before and not take any chances because Goliath terrifies me. By the way, we're always framing this story as an underdog story. And don't you love underdog stories? 
I mean, they're, they're pretty cool, where you got somebody really big against somebody really small, and the small guy wins somehow. I mean, I think of the Greeks uh, fighting the Persians at Thermopylae. Uh, I think of uh, Rocky Balboa fighting Apollo Creed. I think of the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, playing just about anybody. And here you, got, here you got David, who is a child, who's a kid, and he's fighting Goliath, the veteran giant warrior. I mean, the odds are just impossible. It's the classic underdog story. We call it that. Oh, it was a David and Goliath story. At least that's how we usually read the story. For David, it's not an underdog story. The odds are, are not impossible because David knows his strengths so well, and he knows his God so well. It's, it's pretty remarkable with David being, being such a young man. He's, he's just amazing because he has this powerful combination of knowledge about himself and knowledge about God. We see that so clearly when he takes Saul's armor off. This is not me. But then in verse 40, very slowly, very methodically, it says, Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. You ever wondered why five stones? Um, back up, maybe? Like, I always thought maybe one doesn't go. You know what I like to think? Is that, that he knew, David knew, that Goliath had four other brothers. <laughs> that, I'm going to take them all. He had that kind of brashness and confidence about him, I think. But here David has this, this radical alternative to swords and shields and all that stuff and spears, five stones and a slingshot. And, and his guidance is coming from the inside out, from his relationship with God. And, and God, the Holy Spirit, is, is inside of, of each of us when we receive Christ. And, and he will counsel you and he will guide you in the way you're to go. And David's life is it's not divided between knowing himself and, and knowing God. David has this integrity about him. He, he lives true to who he is in God. And David's saying, God, God did not make me to, to fight Goliath on Goliath's terms with swords and shields. That's not who I am. In fact, it's kind of common sense, actually. But David knows to fight Goliath sword to sword, spear to spear, he's going to be killed. So he doesn't do it. But it's an even match. Do you know why? Because he think, he, he's got a slingshot. And David is really, really good with a slingshot. That's his gift. As, as Jim Collins would say, that's his hedgehog. That one special gift that God had given him. And David thinks, I have my slingshot, so now it's an even match. And here's what some of us do in the, in the name of Jesus, is we might foolishly run out at, at whatever Goliath is kind of standing in, in front of us, thinking that God will supernaturally just endue me with power and rescue me, and I'll, I'll win the deliverance, even though maybe you never picked up a sword before, and, and you go out kind of, I can do it in God's name. And that's what you do. And, and, and occasionally, by God's great grace, you just might pull it off. But more likely, you're the one with the head that gets cut off. You're the one lying in the ditch afterwards. And then we're kind of mad at God, and we, we blame God because he didn't show up. But you see, it's, it's one of God's gifts to us that he, he made each of us a certain way, with a, a, a certain shape, a, a unique personality or, or temperament or gift mix or, 
or history or, or abilities, experience, all those things. There is just one of you. And we only have one David with a slingshot. And David goes against his counselors because they can't see what David sees, which is the living God. And, and David sees God, and that, that part of, he sees that part of himself that knows how to work a slingshot. And he knows how to, how to throw stones. That's his deal. And he realizes God has, has given him something unique with which to defeat Goliath, and he goes with that. Uh, you know, this, that self-knowledge in that moment, him being comfortable in his own skin and in, in who God made him to be is just huge. And he's afraid of nothing because he knows God will show up if he is faithful to himself and if he's also faithful to God. You catch that? We always talk about being faithful to God. We rarely talk about being faithful to how God made us. And he goes with that. He trusts in the living God. And so David has these strengths that he's bringing to the battle, and you know, so do you. And I, I think each of us, part of our journey is to grow in our self-awareness and our knowledge of the, the, the strengths that, that God has, has given us. And, and David is looking at God, and he's looking at himself, and he swings that slingshot, and off goes that stone like a rocket. Goliath falls, and David cuts off his head. All because he had the courage to step out of himself, he brings down Goliath. Bam. Then what happens? Well, pretty much inspires everybody. Suddenly the, the whole army is, is out of the trenches. They're chasing after the, the enemy. Everyone gets in on this victory. And the point is, is the whole, the whole nation gets blessed. God is glorified. As David says again and again, that the whole world might know that there is a God in Israel. You see, uh, when you're yourself, it's that the whole world would get blessed. You want to bless the world? Stop trying to be somebody else. You want to bless the world? Be yourself. And when you're yourself and you break out of the trenches and go for it, the world gets blessed. Your children, your family, your friends, your co-workers. But if you do not get freed up to be yourself, if you don't follow God off the hillside, nobody gets blessed. Listen to this great quote from Thomas Merton. He says, Trees and mountains and rocks, unlike humans, are their true selves. A mountain is a mountain. It doesn't make a choice. A tree is a tree. It doesn't have free will. But we have a choice. God leaves us free to be whatever we want. We can be ourselves as we please. We are at liberty to be real or unreal. We may be true or, or false. In other words, the choice is ours. And David makes a choice. The book we're studying, uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, gives practical principles to begin making this radical transition to living more out of our true self in Christ. And let me say, just realistically, it's a journey. It's a path. It's going to take, take lots of work. It's going to take relationship work. It's going to involve connecting with others around these themes. It's, it's going to involve paying attention to your interior life through silence and solitude. It'll involve trusting God and, and, and moving out of what are your comfort zones. It'll involve praying for courage. I mean, I, I think it takes tremendous courage to step out and be faithful to who God made you to be. 
And just as, da- just as God made David unique, God has, has made you unique. But David knows he's got a, a, a massive resource beyond his own power. He knows it, and it's, it's the living God. And, and, and let me say, so do you. This living God operating in and, and through him. Now, as I said, to, said earlier, <laughs> here's your choice. You have terrified Israel on, on one side. They're, they're dismayed and absolutely terrified day by day. And they're just living a life that's, that's not theirs. They're in fear. And they, and they know God intellectually in their brains, in their heads, but they, they aren't really experiencing the, the fruit of a relationship with God. And then you've got David who steps out. Now the question this morning is, where are you? Are, are you in the trench with the terrified ones, not being true to whom God has made you to be? You know, when we looked at those symptoms earlier on, on on the the false self. Did you rank kind of high? I'd suggest that points to some stuff that's inside that's unresolved and not authentic. And the issue to step out like David is is courage, and it's frightening because there are real obstacles that we have to cut through. I'd say we have the same obstacles that David had. We've got to cut them through to, to be what God has called us to be. So, so you have to weigh for yourself right now, it, you know, how important is the approval of people over and against the death of your own soul? Because I think over time, your soul will shrivel up and, and, and die, and if, if you live everybody else's dream for your life, or, or you're just a, another flat Christian who, who knows God, but's kind of hiding in the trench. So I want to invite you to come out of the trench and and go into the middle of the field and just see what it's like to be with the living God. And I see David, this beautiful picture of him kneeling at the brook, and just the, even you can sense it in the pace of the story, he's unhurried, he's very calm, because he knows God is with him, and how easily we lose sight of the God who is present with us, present with you. And Jesus promised us, this, this great promise, I will be with you. And at this critical moment for David, and it's a, a critical moment for many of you in this room, what am I going to do with my life? By the way, David points us to Jesus. He's kind of a prototype of Jesus. Jesus is our champion. Jesus is our warrior. And, and he goes out in representative battle for all humankind, and he's already fought the giant in this battle and brought him down. And through that, he, he, he provides resurrection from the dead and gives salvation. He offers forgiveness. He, he gives us grace and the indwelling life of his spirit. And so we now, too, can, can get out of our trenches and, and, and go and fight the enemies and giants in our lives because Christ has already gone before us because Jesus has defeated the greatest Goliath, the powers of darkness. God enables us to get up and actually defeat that which lies in front of us and become more authentically who God made us to be. So here are our obstacles. Let's, let's look at them again. Three obstacles in which David cuts. His family, significant others with authority and experience, and Goliath. David could not have been his authentic self without the living God. And, and the thought of becoming who you are without God is foolishness. And it's in God alone that you become who you were meant to be because he made you in the first place. He crafted your life and has made it with purpose. And you're here for a purpose. 
So this morning, if you kind of know you're out of whack somehow, you're uncomfortable at answering those questions at the beginning, and, and you go, I, I don't even know why, but I want to challenge you this morning to pray. I want to challenge you to take some moments and, and bring this before God and ask him for his guidance and he, his leadership. He's the God who is with us and is prepared to, to lead us in the path that we uniquely are to go. And, and we're a community of God's people to, to pray for each other and to, to help each other to be set free. So, so this morning, uh, bring it to God and receive whatever else God might have for you. His forgiveness, his, his cleansing, his power, from, uh, because the living God is here. So I'm going to give you some time to pray this morning. We're going we're to uh, just have Carrie play the piano. But why don't we just receive this blessing from God in this time of silence? And so, Jesus, we just ask to, to receive the love and mercy of God now and forgiveness from him. You know how some of us, Lord, you can see it, you know our hearts, you know us for sure. We're living kind of divided lives. Our inside and our outside don't really match up very well. Um, you long to bring healing and wholeness and integrity to us again. Would you uh, shine a light on the, the next steps for us? I, we pray too, Lord, that you would you do a deep work in us. Uh, Lord, beneath the iceberg, those parts of our heart that we ignore or those feelings we push down. Some of us have come from families, Lord, that uh, were not healthy and we carry a lot of baggage from that, God. And I, this morning we want to pray you would help us to be unhindered by that. That we'd be able to step out in spite of that, God, by your grace. Bring revelation to, to our, our eyes and our minds with regards to that, we pray. Some of us have been told by somebody, you can't do it. You're not able. You don't have it in you. Somebody in authority or power. Lord, I pray you would, you would write the script for our lives. You'd help each of us to craft a, a walk with you ourselves. Some of us are tempted. We've got Goliaths in front of us, and we're tempted to fight them like, like the world fights, like everybody else does. And uh, you've got a unique way for us, and, and we need your discernment, Lord. We need to know who we are. Give us a greater self-awareness, Lord. Help us to not be afraid of, of who you've made us to be. You'd free us into that life, we ask. Just take a couple moments of, of silence and, and open up your heart before God.
So now I want to ask you to let the Lord cleanse you of your shame and your rebellion, your ups and your downs, and just receive his forgiveness and his mercy and his grace. Just receive the beauty and love that God has for you, who loved you enough to come and, and, and die for you and rise from the dead. Just allow the face of, of God to, to shine upon you. And so now may the Lord grant you his peace and his joy and his power and his courage that you might get up and live the life he has called you to live. I bless you all in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, it might be helpful for you this morning to remain in prayer and uh, allow God to speak to you. It might be helpful for some of you to take a journal this afternoon and start highlighting, writing, what is God saying to me? It's a good question to ask. I believe God's got a great journey for each one of us, and he, so I have a lot of hope for you. But it's going to involve a lot of courage. And I'm praying that for you today. This, that's been my burden this week, is that praying that we will be brave as a people. Some of us are very, very afraid. And God's saying, be of strong courage. For I am with you and I'll go with you wherever you go. So be of strong courage. So, so uh, the, uh, the front is available for prayer today if you like prayer and, and uh, there's refreshments back there. God bless you as you go.